Hello everyone, welcome to episode 200 of the End Focus podcast. Insert your celebration noises here. Uh, it's me, Andy Corrigan. I'm back for this uh, milestone episode. Uh, just felt right to be back here. Uh, and I am joined by our new regular team of Andrew Brown. Hello. Sylvie Wassana. Hello. And Rosalie Newcomb, who I'm sure everyone will agree has been awesome in my absence. Oh, thank you. Hello. And we've got a hell of a packed episode for you this week. We're going to talk about the latest Pokemon Presents. Uh, we're going to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Klonoa Fantasy Reverie series, and I've brought a whole list of things that I've been playing while I've been absent from the show. So we'll uh, we'll get into those very soon. Also, Rosalie's going to be talking about uh, Ease 9 Monstrum Nox. It's a very uh, JRPG-centric <laughs> episode this week. Um, so yeah, we've uh, we've got the latest news, which is that Pokemon Presents, so let's talk about that. Okay, uh, embarrassing confession. I didn't watch the Pokemon Presents yet, because uh, I felt guilty that I haven't finished Legends. So, uh, can, <laughs> who wants to lead this one? Don't all throw your hands up at once. <laughs> Uh, I can, I guess. Sylvie, I choose you. <laughs> okay, well that just threw me off the whole game now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, we had the, the Pokemon Presents, uh, just like a, a Nintendo Direct, but just for Pokemon. Um, half of it was mobile game news that, you know, it's hit or miss in terms of if people are interested. Um, like Pokemon Go is getting... Uh, some more Ultra Beasts at the end of this month uh, as part of their uh, GoFest events around the world. Uh, there's a Pikachu-themed thing going on in Pokemon Unite. Uh, and they've got Buzzwall and a, I think a bunch of um, anniversary presents, like uh, outfits for the Pokemon. Uh, there was a Pokemon Cafe remix thing where it was it's a one-minute cooking challenge to fill up Mewtwo as much as possible. Ah, hence the uh, Mewtwo likes tapas jokes that did the round on socials just after. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they like to meme, like, right after these presentations. Uh, There's a Pokemon World Championship happening in London, and they showed off a trophy. They play a bunch of different games here. It's... I, I don't play Pokemon for the competitive edge, so personally I'm not that excited for it but mm-hmm. you know it's probably a big deal but the big news that everyone was waiting for was news about pokemon scarlet and violet which is coming out in november i yeah. believe sounds about right uh they finally named the region uh Paldea, and they showed off a few new pokemon including a regional form of whooper which is just looks like it's covered in mud <laughs> it's really cute there's a dog called Fido, spelt like dough, like bread. Ah, oh, yes, the bagel dog. The bagel dog, yeah. <laughs> and Satitan. They didn't say the name, so I hope I'm saying it right. <laughs> uh, it's like a big snowy bowl with a horn on it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's what it is. It's a simple design. <laughs> I, I thought it was like an evolution of Snom or something. Nintendo games are so wholesome, but there's like just certain franchises where it's impossible to describe things in a safer work. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. 
so, some Pokemon and uh, Kirby. Yeah, I, as soon as I said it's a big snowball with a horn on it, <laughs> my brain went, hmm. <laughs> they announced the regional gimmick. Uh, every region has a gimmick. And this one is, I'll make sure I'm saying this right, Terrastal. And you can Terrastalize Pokemon. Uh, every Pokemon's got something called a Terra type. Uh, it's like a subtype, so it doesn't have to necessarily match up with the main type of the Pokemon. Like Eevee's normal type, and they showed off Eevee can have like water Terra type or fire or whatever. And they turn all crystallized and have like a little crown on their head that's made out of a uh, crystal. And it boosts their attacks, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Like I said, every region's got a gimmick. I'm sure there'll be like specific forms like how Gigantamaxing and Dynamaxing were different. Where you had mm -hmm. everyone could Dynamax, but only some of them could Gigantamax. And it was like a specific transformation. So I'm sure Terrastalizing, that's a mouthful, <laughs> will be the same. But yeah, that's uh, that's all of it, I think. Oh, no, so much more than that. <laughs> Probably the biggest news, I think, is uh, they've described it as being fully open world. I, I don't know exactly what that means because they still haven't shown the entire world. But if it actually is, you know, a fully open map like Skyrim or like Breath of the Wild, that's pretty fantastic. And you can do the eight gyms in any order that you want. There's no prescribed order you have to do them in. Just do them in the order you discover them. And there are also two other stories that you can follow. They didn't elaborate past that, but the eight gyms are, are only one-third of the game's core content, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about because when I heard they were bringing the gyms back, I was immediately disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and... I made jokes in the past about how the new legendary Pokemon look like they have tires embedded in their necks. Uh, turns out I was pretty spot on because those are literally tires and the legendary <laughs> Pokemon are vehicles you ride on <laughs> and they upgrade over the course of the game it looks like to so that way they can go on water or they can climb up walls or they can fly which I think is a great change from the transportation Pokemon and Legends, which you had to switch between. It, it's kind of a pain in the butt sometimes if you're trying to get around quickly. Uh, this one just has it all streamlined into a single Pokemon, and you get your Legendary right at the start of the game, apparently, or fairly early on at least, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. I like that the red one has the wheels and it just mm -hmm. runs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to have like a, a leg mode and a wheel mode and and also in keeping with that thing we observed where one of the Pokémon professors seems to be more futuristic and one of them seems to be more mm. primitive. It seems to follow with the uh the legendaries too. The red legendary Pokémon has tires basically. Uh, and the purple one, it looks like when it's actually in vehicle mode, it it's tires turn into energy like a uh, spinning energy it looks like uh, it, it's just keeping in in with that theme of futurism versus primitivism so I, i'm interested to see what that really means between the two versions of the game uh come november uh, i was pretty skeptical on scarlet and violet 
before now, but now I'm I'm super excited. I actually want to play it now. Uh, it sounds like a a weird Transformers struck Pokemon crossover. Yeah, a little bit. I was just setting that up so I could say Automon, roll out. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I'm still skeptical because it feels like these additions are things they could have done in previous games <laughs> because they were things that were. Should have done 10 years ago, but yeah. Yeah, see, I love Pokemon because I guess we're similar age groups. Uh, When it was first a thing, I was on it and I never stopped being on it. But I get disappointed with the mainline games constantly and I always pre-order them, I always get excited and I play them and I'm like, wow, this is really boring. I don't (laughs) think I've really enjoyed one since X and Y, apart from Arceus, but I don't I don't personally count that as a mainline game because it, you know, didn't have the two different versions and things. I just feel like these little add-ons are like still not enough. And then when I see gameplay or footage of Xenoblade Chronicles Three, and I see, wow, that's a recent game and it looks absolutely beautiful on the Switch. <laughs> and then you look mm-hmm. at the footage of uh, Pokemon, and I know it's stylistic, and I'm like. Oh, I can't, I just wish it just had that that boost, that umph, for it just made it look a bit more like not. It, it still it looks and it still feels like it's going to be a bit dated. And I know the mainline games, they're, the core audience is for kids, so they're going to have a bit of easy. There's there's always going to be a bit of linear gameplay and things. But I'm just like, oh, I just I don't want to pre-order it and be just disappointed because it constantly happens. I really I thought Sword and Shield was really really dull. It was. But, yeah, the the co-op thing they were talking about made me go, oh, that ooh, that could be cool. But then I'm like, they could have done that in the last... What was stopping them doing it in the last <laughs> one? It, it just feels like they're adding things that loads of other games have done better and well years before, but they're like, they know that they're still going to... People are still going to buy it if they... Uh, it's like that Simpsons meme where it's like, the doll with now with new hat, and everyone hat. buys it anyway, and you're like, mm, <laughs> I don't know, I'm still... I'm going to make sure I don't pre-order this one and see what everyone says. Rather than pre-order and be disappointed, you'll just buy it whenever and be disappointed. Yeah. Solid strategy. I don't want to be and- disappointed, though. <laughs> I want to be hyped and excited. I just... I don't know. There's just something where I'm like, ah, oh, I think I just want a new... If, if it was Pokemon, I just want a new Pokemon Stadium and fun mini games and things rather than a mainline game because there's just so many of them. But I don't know. I'm still I'm I'm still skeptical. Yeah, my impression of where the series is at with fans at the moment is that they've kind of split into two camps. There's uh, there's like the Andrew side who really wants them to reinvigorate and reinvent and do stuff at the expense of maybe the competitive kind of scene, mm-hmm. and then the people who are really into the the multiplayer and the competitive kind of just want it to retain that core system with the same battle systems that they they know and love i kind of feel like the perfect answer is to have a competitive game that's separate that you can import your pokemon in in from the single player adventures i kind of feel like that that's the happy balance to keep everyone happy i think i've suggested that before where you have like your pokemon stadium that works kind of like pokemon Mm -hmm. home Mm -hmm. and then you have your story-based games for the the story and exploration and everything mm-hmm. just i don't know that seems like yeah. a no-brainer uh, and that way they can still experiment from entry to entry that doesn't matter it's just the stats that you pull over from from the game that, oh, yeah. that matters yeah exactly I, and they I just update like... it for like the new gimmicks and pokemon yeah. 
I, I do like the, th the th three story thing that Andrew was talking about that they're doing so it's not just you collect all the gems and then you fight the champions and then yay that's it because uh, it feels like they're trying to do like a fire emblem three houses kind of thing is what people were talking about on Twitter at the time For me personally always just wants a mainline game where you can be you don't have to it's not always your Pokemon trainer you could be like I want to be a Pokemon breeder I want to be a po you know you could have different job classes and the story would be centered around those classes that's what I thought they would do eventually but I don't I don't know I'll, I'll I think I'll just be skeptical until I see everyone going this is amazing and then I'll end up buying it anyway <laughs> well people said sword and shield was amazing and they were wrong I know I still haven't traded it in, I like to, <laughs> I, I like to accept for the gimmicky stuff of gigantamaxing and all that jazz I don't. I barely used it unless it was like when it made you <laughs> use it. Mm -hmm. I feel like the three stories in this. One of them is going to be the gyms, obviously, and then the other two are just going to be complete the decks and fight the baddies of the region. What What I don't want to see is that you'll be one, you know, walking across a wide open area and you'll bump into someone and they'll be like, "Boy, I really wish someone could collect ten random Pokemon for me." And then you get a little checklist. Uh, Ooh, but, checklist. Although that's kind of the whole gameplay loop of Legends, I guess. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Except there's no person asking for it. There's just a checklist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, checklist. Oh, let's uh, move on from Pokemon then. And we'll get into the stuff we've been uh, playing in the last week. Or, for me, the last three months. Okay, so uh, the logical place to start for this would be the things I've been playing while I've been away. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, apart from one or two, and uh, maybe if Andrew wants to jump in for a discussion on a couple of them uh, in particular, or anyone for that matter, it's just uh, me and Andrew have discussed <laughs> the ones I would mention. So yeah, we'll start off the House of the Dead remake. It took me way too long to get onto it uh, before I get into the game itself. Uh, it has the best uh, pun on limited edition that I've seen in any of these re-releases, which was the Limmy Dead edition. Quite enjoyed that. Thank you, pun makers. How's the Dead? It's a remake of an old arcade light gun shooter. Uh, I bought this on Switch specifically for the motion aiming. In the end, I, it, it, I found it slightly problematic. I was surprised it wasn't the default option on Switch, but it's a multi-format game, so I, I, I kind of get it. I found I had to recenter the cursor a whole lot uh, to be any good at aiming. Uh, it really kind of impacted my experience with it. I got the hang of it eventually. It was either I would recenter or I would just make do with having my wrist at really awkward positions. Uh, Andrew, would you say it was uh, your experience consistent with that? Whenever there's one of these kind of light gun shooter style games that has that reset option, I'm just constantly resetting the button. It just becomes second habit mm -hmm. to me. So yes, but I'm not complaining about it. Because that, that's just second nature for me yeah. at this point. If I if I want to aim, I'm immediately hitting the reset button first thing. Yeah, I feel like with the Resident Evil games, just as an example, um, I was resetting it like every five to ten minutes, mm. whereas this was every like 30 seconds or something. But uh, as a positive, it does have a lot of different control options. Uh, as you can play with uh, the Pro Controller. You can even play touchscreen, which I forgot to try. Did you experiment with that at all? Of course all? not. Uh, of course not. <laughs> screens are not for touching um, yeah. so uh, light gun uh, games aren't really my genre 
so I did appreciate the way this game, this remake approached the difficulty angle. Um, you can, if you get like nine lives to begin with, which are your your, your quarters or coins or whatever they are in whatever country you, you're from, um, you run out of those, you can then spend your high score on continues, mm. uh, which I thought was a pretty neat way of managing that progression. And you can also, if you die, you can actually just select the level you want to start on, which I thought was really neat. But it's kind of, I found it hidden away that the UI in this game is kind of terrible. But it does have, actually have that like traditional arcade mode for those who like to be punished. So, because <laughs> of that ability to continue, though, it was it meant this the this game was mega short. I had it done in under an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your time frame? Forty five minutes. So it's it's really short. So you're only really going to get the longevity if you're into score attacks, which I am absolutely well, not. I have no no real interest in that. There's a wall of um, achievements you can unlock too that require you to, you know, like rescue all the scientists, which is pretty hard because you have to be quick on the draw and you have to be super accurate for some of them. And in the House of the Dead, depending upon choices you make or which scientists you rescue, there are different paths through the levels you can do. And also there mm-hmm. are all kinds of boss challenges. So there are all kinds of achievements for doing all this different stuff to keep certain types of players coming back. Personally, I played this game once and I was like, I feel no need to play this again. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a, a one undone with this. Like, I don't regret spending my time mm. on it. And I kind of, I would have waited for it to be cheaper, but I kind of worried about the amount of uh, prints had been done on this and it was kind of hard to get hold of anyway. So I was just like, yeah, screw it. And uh, yeah, the, the scientist thing is actually how you unlock the other weapons is my understanding. Um, I kind of wish the game had the weapons kind of littered to find throughout instead. Hmm. I feel like that would have been a a more fun way to approach it because instead I just played the whole thing with with the pistol, you know. Yeah, I did too. Uh, And then I got to the end and it showed stats for the other guns and I was like, there are other guns? I didn't even see (laughs) them. (laughs) I only figured that out from the the options. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> scrolling through like oh there's a weapon change button the story it's it's kind of fun it's this b-movie campy style uh it's it's kind of like old school resident evil but with the the campiness like just ramped up to a, a massive degree uh you you're what some kind of cop or fbi agent infiltrating this haunted mansion to stop a mad scientist uh, it, it it's the the typical kind of fare for this kind of thing yeah, it's it's neither deep, but it is entertaining, and uh, yeah, I I kind of dug it for that. I think I definitely would grab a sequel, which I understand is getting a remake as mm. well. Uh, would you check that out? Based on this, I don't know that I would. I probably would wait for it to get a price drop compared to this. I, when I heard they were making this, I was kind of expecting it to be more substantial than than this. Mm-hmm. It's a very straightforward remake of the original game uh not a lot of bells and whistles attached to it but uh house of the dead 2 is also a significantly better game than house of the dead 1 so it might actually be worth it or or i might just be mad playing it that they've they've fixed all of the uh memorably terrible things in house of the dead 2 like the dialogue (laughs) (laughs) the one thing i will say off the back of this is Bring those Resident Evil light gun games mm-hmm, yeah. over to Switch, please, because they were brilliant. Love just those. 
Umbrella Chronicles and Dark Side Chronicles in a single package. Just bring them both over. I mean, they they put them on PS3. Yes, Come on, <laughs> you can put them on Switch. Yes, please. Uh, okay, we'll move on. Next up was uh, Dragon's Dogma. So I originally got the the hankering to play The Witcher Three, and then I felt guilty that I hadn't finished Dragon's Dogma. So I booted that up, and then it turned out I was comically close to the end when I dropped it last, uh, and it took me like two hours to beat it <laughs> after I booted it up. The reason for that was I looked up what level you should be to finish the game, and it reckoned like six, no, really high number, like 80 or something, and I was at level 40 and did it pretty easily. Don't Google that if, you, <laughs> if you're trying to figure that out. As, as a whole game, I love not everything about it, but I love the thought process behind everything in it um it's got some unique unique ideas i love that it makes fast travel difficult to do of course the original release didn't have it at all i like the way they approach that stuff but a lot of the ideas in it like its best ideas don't always work and it's a little clunky um and i'm looking forward to see how they address some of that stuff in the newly announced sequel but yeah the the pawn system is amazing still i love that it's a great equalizer like if you're struggling with something you can just go and rent some high level uh, characters that someone else has created in their own game and uh, it's it's like a really really rewarding system and else played this Sandra have you ever revisited it since we first touched upon it many moons ago I got Dark Arisen when it launched on Xbox 360 and I got Dragon's Dogma when it launched on Switch, and both times I really didn't give it the attention it probably deserves. So no, no. <laughs> uh, someday I'll get back to him, but it hasn't happened yet. Anyone else want to add anything to that? I haven't played it. No, neither have I. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Woot. <laughs> As because I, I feel like a uh, quite a few of our mutuals would. Uh... <laughs> be hurt by that and josh was the one i was thinking (laughs) yeah so then i did start witcher 3 again on switch i kind of went to it as a comfort game uh just with uh, other things i'm working on i just need something to 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 chip away at um and that that's been this at the moment although i've dropped it for other things again well at the moment but uh yeah it's just the the main thing i wanted to just remind everyone about is how great this port is for for this system and for it to look look and run this well uh, i know it's had a patch since which i think improved the visuals i remember andrew telling me about that i think they added some more uh, options to play with in terms of the visual fidelity as well so people could find fine tune it how they wanted uh the other reason i thought to bring this up is it looks amazing in handheld on the oled in particular on the oled screen it looks comparable to the the more powerful consoles and systems you can play this on uh, i love this game the writing in particular it's just it's just unrivaled in this uh, like RPG genre. It's the game Dragon Age wishes it was. I know Dragon Age has its fans and its characterizations are, are incredibly well done, but I, I can't think of another game that rivals or another sorry fantasy RPG that rivals the the writing in this one. Um, anyone feel to correct me? I did like Dragon Age <laughs> Inquisition. I can't say that I've got a lisp, uh, but no, you're right. Witcher Three is kind of we way up there (laughs) yeah just a a fantastic game brilliant on switch and it's amazing that you can play something this substantial on a handheld system looking forward to tackling the dlc i never did that on ps4 
And I'm also taking time to like hit every point of interest. I'm also doing the crafting the Witcher gear, which Andrew yelled at me last time for <laughs> never doing when I played on PS4. Um, well, just uh, rocking my Griffin gear at the moment. He didn't yell at you for not doing to... the DLC. I hadn't done the yeah. DLC at the time, so that would have been kind of hypocritical uh... for me. I didn't do the DLC till I got around to it on the Switch. <laughs> I, I'm going to warn you though, Andy. Uh, you're going to run into a, a resource problem trying to craft all the Witcher gear. So make sure you pick what you actually want to use come the end and focus on that. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, okay, I'll refrain from actually just crafting the first thing that appears in my list. Then. Again, brilliant game. Uh, try not to spend too much time on these, sorry. And I'm failing miserably. Uh, next up was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, uh, which was just a absolute joy for the whole time. I, I, I We play co-op on Game Pass, uh, did it in a few hours, uh, and it's, it's again, it's one of those genres that aren't really my thing, like never traditionally got on with them, even as a kid when that was all you could find in arcades. Uh, but the ones I did enjoy a lot were always turtle themed. Although recently I did love uh, Streets of Rage 4. Uh, I think this one just blows that out of the water, though. Uh, the combat systems are just so fluid and fun, and there's a lot of depth there if you you want to work on it. Uh, I like the way the abilities uh level up and unlock as you go through i think andrew in, in his review said this was nostalgia done right completely agree with that uh but also like i love all the references it's and it's not just from the cartoon that this this iteration's based on but from its entire the turtle's entire history like there's there's movie references aplenty uh references from different iterations uh i it was just a fun experience trying to like piece everything together. I, I was so glad to see Tokar and Razor appear in some form, even though they they weren't really there because <laughs> of the the boss that brings them in. It's a game that just revels in in this like nostalgic joy, uh, and yeah, I, I was just of that age where I was obsessed with turtles as a kid, and this is just reliving my childhood. So yeah, uh, bring on the Cowabunga collection so I can actually relive that childhood for uh, uh, again. <laughs> Uh, on the Kawabunga collection, actually, I'm most looking forward to having a rewind mode <laughs> for the NES version <laughs> of Turtles, so I can finally beat that horrific little. Oh wow! Yeah, you're not talking about the arcade game. You're talking about the original, like the original NES game with that. Yeah. The dam with the bombs. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, really yeah. a beat 'em up game, but yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird game. Um, and yeah, I, I think I beat that water <laughs> level once and I made it to the Technodrome once and then mm. I could never get there again. So yeah, looking forward to rewinds for that one. <laughs> I'm mostly interested in the Cowabunga collection. I want to replay all the arcade games. That's why I'm getting it. The other stuff is just mm -hmm. nice. <laughs> Maybe I'll play it someday. Uh, I had read that the uh, even the fighting games in that collection are getting rollback mm. code as well. So like yeah. the tournament fighter, that's pretty cool. I like that. Back to uh, Shredder's Revenge. I think the the biggest compliment I can play it is that I played it on Game Pass and I ordered the Switch version the second <laughs> the credits were rolling. Um, absolutely love it. So, yeah, highly recommend. Next up, we'll just breeze through these ones really quickly. Star Wars Episode One Racer. Uh, I don't usually get on with anti grav racers. I, I find uh, Wipeout painfully overrated. Um, but this is definitely like one of those good ones. <laughs> It's uh I think I beat it over th three nights. The campaign's pretty simple. The gameplay is fairly easy. But it's a good time. Overall it, it's fast paced. The the cornering 
can take a little while to get the the hang of, but got there eventually. Um, and to remember you beating this semi recently? Last year when it launched. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your outcome on that? Uh, I really liked it. I've always really liked Episode 1 Racer. Uh, probably the uh, as close to a, a racing sim as I actually get. <laughs> as, uh, it's definitely still an arcade racer, but it doesn't really have weapons you can fire at each other, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like how in this one you can really see all of the visual tricks they use to get this game running on older hardware because like, mm-hmm. as soon as people get as soon as other racers get more than a couple feet away from you, they just turn into like three different squares. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny looking. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my favorite anti-grav racer is F-Zero on N64. Is this the pod racing one yeah. specifically? Yeah, no, I, I got the port on the PS4 and it's probably one of the only things that I, I fondly think of when I think of episode one, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh no it's still fun um especially if you if you can pick it up quite cheap because it's one of those ones that goes on sale and like very, like on the switch and things like that quite a lot it's definitely still mm-hmm. worth it and uh, no, my my copy of that was bundled with star wars republic commando yeah. a uh a shooter from the xbox ps2 era which i liked back in the day uh the, i've had mixed fortunes with this revisit it was a good shooter in, in its original release, but it's a very average shooter here in 2022. Um, Halo is its obvious inspiration. The thing with this is it has kind of like a tactical twist. You get three uh, AI partners in it that you can uh, get to do different things during skirmishes. So you can put one on a, a mounted gun. You can have one set of demolition charge to destroy like an objective. Uh, you, there's some like hacking stuff as well you can do. Uh, it's kind of fun, like, if you know an attack's coming where you get, like, a few minutes to try and set up a room to defend it and then just pray that you've put people in the right position to handle with everything the uh, the game's going to throw at you. The, the real problem with the game is that it takes way too long to show you what it does differently to other shooters. So it takes you probably, like, most of the way through the first uh, chapter or the first environment uh, before you get a full handle on everything it lets you do and up until that point it just feels incredibly generic but once you get all the tools it's a lot of fun experimenting and it kind of elevates that experience quite a bit this switch port in particular though has some weird problems uh, where most of it i've had no real technical problems with it but there are just like two i'm gonna say levels it's like the, the game split into three uh, lengthy campaigns in three different environments uh, and they're kind of like split into micro levels within those, um, so it's so it's kind of like strung together as one mission. But yeah, uh, so there are just like two sections in the second environment that have technical problems for no reason at all. Uh, so one of one of the problems I had was I would turn into Zoolander and I couldn't turn left, uh, and I could only fix it by doing a three sixty spin to the right. And I had a lot of situations where I was approaching a door and suddenly. I, that it would just flip and I'd be looking at the roof which was very disorientating and I could never figure out what happened it like does it in a way where it feels like you've teleported <laughs> which is very weird um, and in that same stretch there was like tiny empty corridors with like massive frame drops that were completely unexplainable when you pair it with like the big open sections with lots of enemies at one time that work fine so it was just that was just very jarring 
I enjoyed playing through it again, uh, but I'm not sure I would recommend it anymore. Uh, even shooters of its own era had it bettered at the time, uh, there, there or thereabouts. So, yeah, it's just... If you've got nostalgia for it, it's probably worth a look. I would definitely recommend you check it out on a uh, different system, though. Uh, Andrew, did you get the double pack for this one? No, I got Episode One Racer digitally when it came out on ah. the eShop. Waiting for the price to drop to justify mm. double dipping now on the physical <laughs> release. Okay, uh, let's move on to uh, Live Alive. Uh, so I'm on the final chapter of this, and uh, I, the whole thing's just been a, a delight for me. Uh, I'm enjoying the variety uh, that has come with every different age. Having no knowledge of this game before, other than knowing that it was something that never got released in the West, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find that uh, like some of the chapters aren't even like RPG focused at all. Uh, there's well, there's at least two that are more narr- narrative adventure. One of those doesn't have combat in the slightest. Yeah, this this game's made me feel like so many different things as I've been playing it because like you'll, you'll play one age and it's really goofy and you you're killing enemies with farts or throwing poop at them uh then you'll go to another one it's kind of like a a bittersweet uh story about someone trying to preserve their tradition and then there's other ones where there's just like a brutal twist at the end or there's the the uh distant future one which is basically aliens meets 2001 probably a bit spoilery that but uh, it's fine You'll, you'll spot that almost immediately I've got this thing at the moment where I'm like, mm, if a game's around 20 hours, I'm not always convinced I can dedicate the time to it. The way it's set up it made it very palatable. Like, I, I was doing, like, two of the ages a night uh, this weekend. They weren't taking very long. Like, they're all slightly different lengths, but, um, yeah, the, the, the format has made it feel, like, a lot shorter than it actually is. Visuals using uh, Square's, uh, what are they calling it? 2.5 HD thing, I forget the term they use. A very pretty game. Andrew and Sylvie in particular have had problems with games in this style for being very brown. Uh, and this, at the very least, kind of uh, goes some way to rectifying that. Like, it's a very colourful game in comparison. Uh, a lot of different uh, visual styles uh, at play. Not visual styles design styles at play which uh makes it very interesting to look at constantly downsides this the final chapter that i'm on at the moment is going to be a bit lengthy i think the the amount of time you're going to spend there is going to depend on your desire to do everything i'm trying not to spoil things here but uh, i'm probably going to try and do everything in that final chapter so that's going to take me longer than some of the other chapters combined i think um i didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode i i don't know where you were on on this or who's played it so uh anyone want to tell me just me i'm also on the last chapter and i i was appreciating the game for how self-contained and brief all the stories were so i'm slowly starting to resent the game as that is changing as i get closer to finishing it but (laughs) I'll finish it this weekend, I'll wrap it up, and I'll just have slight misgivings about how it ends, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, my biggest thing was I, I was worried it was going to be uh, very trudgy. Like, I love Octopath, uh, Octopath Traveler, but it, it's a long game and some of it feels like a trudge. Uh, mm. It's kind of like a JRPG 
uh, staple at times like that kind of just slow churn I, it just completely wasn't what I expected it's taken me by surprise and, and for me I think it's going to be involved in the uh, the end of year list discussions for me um, along with the next game I'm going to talk about uh, which was Wreckfest yay <laughs> <laughs> Wreckfest is a racing game uh, it's a spiritual successor to games like Destruction Derby and Flat Out but it balances those arcadey tendencies with uh, more realistic physics. Um, so it's kind of like this this weird contrast of uh, realistic physics but arcade-style philosophies. For example, in uh, Flat Out in particular, you could get by most races even just smashing and riding the barriers, uh, whereas this is a bit more realistic in that you need to you know, break well in advance, take the corners slowly and come out quickly uh use the ideal racing lines hit the apexes that kind of thing um it's especially in contrast with other racing games i've been playing this year uh i i spent some money earlier in the year and upgraded my uh force feedback wheel racing rig so i've been playing a lot of things like gran turismo 7 iRacing and and the f1 games where it's more uh, gentlemanly, quote unquote, where you're, you know, you're not meant to hit other cars. You're meant to give people space. Uh, absolutely, do not spin people off the track when you play when you play those games online. Uh, whereas here, it's kind of more rubbing is racing, so contacts allowed. Uh, spinning people out is encouraged, and and in fact, you'll get rewarded for that. <laughs> uh, so it's been a nice uh, palate cleanser for when I've been like too deep into the serious racing sims and <laughs> nice little breakaway and, and, and no stress about hitting things the star of the show here is this huge single player campaign which uh it takes place over five categories so you've got like beginner intermediate goes all the way up to expert in those uh, categories you get a whole bunch and variation of races to work through so one minute you'll be doing like a six race event where it's you know very serious racing business and then the next you'll be throwing motorized couches around a racetrack for some reason there's also the demolition derbies which are interesting and then, and then uh, each one sort of ends with a uh, a specialist event where it just does something weird like uh, the last one i did was a, i had to race a three-wheel car against 18 wheel trucks which was uh horrific <laughs> yeah no over the course of this campaign you earn cash kind of like most racing sims where you can spend it on new cars or or buy upgrades for your existing one the online functionality is here works like a dream uh i've only done a couple of like demolition derbies on it and so much fun just uh just driving into people <laughs> the 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 uh, the thing that makes this whole thing so fun is the physics, and this brings me on to the port performance, because uh, this game does a lot, and it kind of released with zero fanfare. There was no PR about it. Uh, I think I got an email the day after it released from the publisher, uh, so the whole thing had me very worried. Uh, but it's a fantastic port in terms of the uh, process-heavy sort of games that I, I racing games i've talked about on switch uh the previous one that i raved about a lot was grid autosport this runs similar to that and in a lot of ways better because it's doing a lot more with its physics engine uh first of all there's way more cars on track than any other racer i've played on switch 
Um, and there are elements of the track that have their own physics, such as, you know, fencing or there's like tire, uh, piles of tires that you can just smash through and the tires will all individually bounce off very realistically, um, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the only slowdown that I've noticed so far has been in replays when you can see the entire pack of cars in the distant background, um, but it's a replay, so it doesn't affect anything you're doing while you're playing it, uh, and it's it played like a dream so far. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, I'm going to include Mario Kart in the statement. Uh, this is my favourite racing game on Switch. Um, and I'm definitely going to double dip on PC when it's next on sale because I can imagine this being a lot of fun with a force feedback wheel. Yeah, and talking of wheels, it does work with the Mario Kart wheels that you can get uh, for the console uh, by Hori. Um, and just like for Grid Autosport, with the right cons control scheme and some button remapping, you can set it up to use analog pedals. Uh, I'm gonna probably write a guide up on on that somewhere and, and host it somewhere, so I'll uh, I'll share that on socials when I get around to it. Overall, a very good port. I I love this game a lot. It's so, so much fun. I think it's the most content-packed racing game on Switch. Uh, it's definitely the most varied, and uh, yeah, just really enjoying my time with it i've got a few more races to go before i beat it but yeah so much fun uh, sylvia you did a uh, a celebratory uh woohoo when i mentioned it uh, you played <laughs> this one before i dabbled in it i was i just said yay because it's finally a game that i've also played that i can talk about with you um <laughs> yeah i had a lot of fun with it i mostly just played online with a friend just messing around kind of like a sandbox just going through the tracks and trying out different cars and crashing into each other. I love that a lot of the tracks just kind of loop in on themselves to mm -hmm. encourage crashes. Um, and I just love driving around on a couch. That's mm -hmm. just the yeah, dream. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, one of my other favorite events was the uh, riding a little lawnmower against Combine Harvester. <laughs> I wonder how that went. Uh, yeah, I shared a, a video of a near miss I had with that, and I managed to dip just under the front of it without <laughs> it taking me out. So that was fun. Uh, just a, a fantastic game all around. Yeah, uh, e easily, I think, my favorite racing game on Switch. Okay, uh, and that brings me to the last one, which I made last because it's going to tie in nicely to the next thing we're going to talk about. Uh, I finally finished Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna, the Golden Country, which I think Andrew also talks about a couple of weeks back. It's way better than baseline Xenoblade Chronicles oh, 2. Oh, yeah, it is. That game I loved a lot for the first 20 or 30 hours, uh, character designs notwithstanding, um, and then I ended up just kind of resenting it the longer it went on. Um, and when it finished, it was more of uh, an experience of relief rather than, ooh, that was a great time. Tauna, obviously it's shorter because it's kind of basically a standalone DLC pack. Uh, the characters are much better, it's much more story focused, and the biggest plus point is that it gets rid of the gacha blades. What you get is what you need for the story, and they all tie into the story. It's kind of, it's, it's like a streamlined take on Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but I feel like the whole thing's much better for it. Uh, like you still spend a lot of time tinkering with uh, stats and unlocks and um, doing certain objectives to unlock powers for your blades but yeah I, I think just the the outcome of that is a lot better than the base game 
Would everyone agree with that? Oh, yeah. Xenoblade 2 just tried to do too many things at once, and mm-hmm. Torna just kind of stripped it back to the funnest elements. Mm-hmm. I haven't played any of them, so I can't <laughs> see. Um, now, uh, I think uh, just from socials, uh, Andrew has been on the biggest and weirdest journey with the Xenoblade Chronicle series, just from his utter contempt <laughs> for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 to begin with. Uh, then recently there was a, a patch where I was playing it and like on the verge of enjoying it. I think on socials was was the description that I'd give you, yeah. uh, and then then you had a much better time with with Tonner, Is that right? Well, I would say uh, I started with Xenoblade Chronicles two. It was the first Xenoblade Chronicles game I played, and despite several attempts, I did not get on with it. Then Definitive Edition came out, and I started that. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I did finish it first try, and I felt much better equipped to uh, understand what Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was trying to do, not always successfully. So when I returned to Xenoblade Chronicles 2 once again, uh, the following year I managed to finish it that time. And then Torna, again, I, I understood better what the game was trying to do, and the game is just much better at doing it in terms of execution. So... Mm-hmm. that's kind of the path I've been on. And and then Xenoblade Chronicles 3 just came out. Which we'll talk about very soon. Um, the only other point I want to make here is just more 20-hour JRPGs, please. They don't all have to be 150 <laughs> hours long. You can have a focused JRPG, and it's just as good. And often better, because it respects my time. That's what indies um, are for. Time. Exactly. Don't let us down, Sea of Stars. <laughs> Okay, so with that, uh, the next set of games we're going to talk about. Uh, two of them I have in my playlist, and I have not got there yet, so I'm interested to hear about them here and now. Uh, so first up, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. In particular, I can't wait to hear how they've changed or evolved the combat, because that's the biggest gripe I have from the other two games. Um, so hopefully we hear positive things about that. Well, I just described my feelings about the Xenoblade Chronicles series as a whole. Torna, the one I've enjoyed the most, yet I, I still wouldn't say I, I loved it. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, now noting that I'm still at the very start of the game, I've barely scratched this thing. I'm maybe 20 hours into it, and it's a 100-150 hour game. Um, this is very, very good so far, and I see the potential for this to be an all-time great from the start. Certainly, it's in the running for one of the best RPGs on the console. I'll give it that much. Uh, If you didn't watch the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Direct from back in June, uh, the story is there's these two armies that are fighting each other. They represent these two different kingdoms or empires, whatever. And all the soldiers in these armies, they only live for 10 years or 10 terms. And they meet on these battlefields... And they fight each other to the death, and when they die, they release this energy that the other army absorbs, and it just they just go back and forth, fighting for ten years, trading these energy fields back and forth, until one day, finally, these two special forces groups, uh, representing each side of the army, are forced to work together, and they discover the horrible secret, etc., and then they have to set out and team up and put a stop to the, the mindless, pointless killing. 
and right from the start of the game you're seeing the recurring themes and images the first thing you see in the game is a clock and remember what i talked about with them only living for 10 years and the second thing you see in the game is these two orbs kind of joining together into a single orb uh, which is about duality because that's that's really what this game is about is duality there are six party members there are three from each side of of the conflict uh, there's two tanks there's two damage dealers there's two healers uh, yeah, everybody in the group uh, has a counterpart and they have like different sizes and their counterpart is always the opposite sex or the opposite race and it's just all over the place they've put so much thought into this like even when you go to the uh, main menu and you see the characters uh, making the anime pose they are standing I love that yeah they stand like in file and it's one side, other side, one side, other side, one side, other side, and they're arranged by height. It looks amazing. They've, they've put so much thought into this game, just not only into the story, but also into the mechanics. It all weaves together amazingly well. I've been really impressed. What's really impressed me is the pacing. This game is so much better paced than Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which I described on Twitter recently as like watching molasses flow downhill. That's that's really slow, because uh, <laughs> uh, the pacing problem in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is the combat is slow, and the character development is slow. So you're compounding slowness in the short term, like in the immediate term with the combat, with slowness in your character development, which is the long term. It's the exact opposite in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. The battles are so fast. I have complained in the past Xenoblade Chronicles game, even even in Torna, that even when you have a significant level advantage against the things you're fighting, they still the fights are still several minutes long. Not in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. If you are even evenly matched against whatever it is you're fighting, it's going to go down in a few seconds. And it's only the bosses that really last a while or, or the tougher fights or if you're fighting a larger group if you're in, if you're in a, a serious fight then it will take it on and also the character development is just so much faster uh, this uses the final fantasy 5 slash tactics job system which i'm thrilled about i've never played an rpg that uses that that's bad with it it only takes a couple hours to cap out the jobs uh, at the start now the uh, the level cap on the jobs does rise as you play the game uh, so that's might change over time where it takes longer to cap them out but in the immediate turn you can cap them out very quickly so I'm constantly changing which jobs the characters are using so it really feels like in the short term I'm killing things quickly like the, the game isn't wasting my time on a really basic basically a, a rat enemy taking several minutes to beat it and then i'm getting just this tiny handful of experience points for doing it i'm rewarded for my effort and i just i'm so pleased with that especially compared to the uh the other games in the series i've played uh but the only major complaint really i have so far is the game is is really fond early on of just putting up invisible walls you're not allowed to walk past uh, to keep you on the plot not real thrilled about that but 
<laughs> that's like literally the only thing I can complain about so far of what I've played. I, I am adoring Xenoblade Chronicles 3 to the point that I resented having to come back to Live Alive this weekend to finish it. I wanted to keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this all sounds very promising from my perspective. I particularly like the thing about enemies going down uh, quickly. Yeah, I was, I was also kind of torn on that when I first heard about it because I did like the fact that, that every battle had to be considered but yeah uh, the, this does sound like a lot more enjoyable like a, as, as a progressional in a progressional sense anyway I did see someone talk about the way it um, helps you progress in some ways I, I think I saw someone online say there was a mission where you had to wait for rain and it mm. wasn't happening and then they found a, a, a little character that you could pay to make it rain which is I pretty cool. haven't encountered that. That doesn't sound great, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a, a few notes as well. Oh, please. I, I really like that the combat just felt natural, um, especially if you're coming off playing Xenoblade 1 and 2. Uh, they're both slightly different in that the arts will either um, build up by mm -hmm. auto-attacking or by time, and they've actually incorporated that into the character's and the races yeah and that's another thing about pacing like in xenoblade chronicles 2 you had to play for like hours and hours and hours to unlock the ability just to use your arts as soon as the battle starts which was it was dumb uh like a super expensive skill you had to buy just to have the privilege of using one of your arts as soon as the battle starts xenoblade chronicles mm -hmm. 3 you don't have to do that you can just the battle starts you can use your arts right away yeah nice um but also just the the theme of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2 kind of culminating in this without giving anything away. Um, well, uh, I, I have shockingly poor memory of the combat in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I don't know why. I just don't. Uh, am I wrong that in one of the armies uses the Xenoblade Chronicles 1 style of art, art power-ups, and the other army uses the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 style? Or yeah, I, so yeah. one one army that has the races from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 art um, build-up. Yeah, where it builds um, up when your auto attacks. Yeah, and then Xenoblade 1 is over time. So mm. the other army with the Xenoblade 1 races, like the high-end here and whatever, which they're not said by name, but clear yeah. references. Y you <sighs> That was my immediate thought. That might be the other negative feeling I have about the game so far. Is I think it plays its hand too quick, but also maybe yeah. I'm, I'm just way too smart about these kind of sci-fi concepts. But like, as soon as I saw that image of the two orbs joining together into one, it's like, oh, I know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, and the whole theme of like the Ouroboros ability, where two party members from opposite sides can merge into a um, a larger being, and you, you can kind of do combat that way. Mm -hmm. Who looks suspiciously like a mechon. Well, there's that, and uh, like you said, with the two orbs combining, that's like a, a, a gameplay mechanic of that concept. I feel like I'm tiptoeing on, on spoilers, <laughs> but if you've played Xenoblade 1 and 2, the endings of those games will kind of give a hint as to what's happening in Xenoblade 3. But they've yeah. done a good job of kind of having Xenoblade 3 have its own themes as well. I was worried it was just going to be like a... Uh, I've, I've seen it described as it will reward people who have played the previous two, but uh, it can be entirely standalone. 
yeah, I reckon it could be. But I've only played about 20 hours myself. By the time I got to the end of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2, I was just so exhausted and so checked out of the plots that I I didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> I was just like, here's a cutscene, the game's ending. Yay! That was where I was at at the end of those games. <laughs> That's fair. Um, to, to be fair, I think you could play either Xenoblade Chronicles 1 or 2 first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played it two first and then one. Yeah, I, I did. I was one two and one I was invested throughout the whole thing um and two I checked out after 30 hours for, from the story it was just the, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I think I was even skipping skipping cutscenes towards the end of Oof. the second one not all of them just when I felt it was wasting my time so yeah <laughs> that's where I was with that one I didn't skip <laughs> any in Torna though because they they all felt cool and meaningful yeah uh, another thing I like in this game is the hero system which is a way to enhance the whole class-based system. Because you start with six classes, every character that in your party has a class. And you can swap between those, but then you can start getting hero characters, which are just temporary party members. And the more you battle with them, the more you kind of build up a rapport between your party characters and the hero character, and then you can take their class too. And not counting DLC, there are almost 20. So <laughs> there's yeah. a, a ridiculous number of jobs in this game. It's really cool just how different they are as well. They're all kind of based into defenders, attackers, and support. So support can be healers or buffers or what have you. There's probably going to be more types. Um, I just unlocked one that has like the sword and shield, which is really cool. But there's also just a support one where basically... They barely attack. All they do is just keep the party alive. My only gripe with this game so far is that whenever it gives you a tutorial, it's just so slow. You can't press A on Hmm. boxes that you already know what it's going to say. You have to wait for the prompt to come up. And it just forces you through the menu. So every single screen, and sometimes it's like three or four screens before it gets to what it wants to show you. Mm -hmm. It's not a deal breaker. It'll, it'll hand walk you step by step through, like, even as simple as selecting options in a menu. It's kind of obnoxious, but you can replay them, which is nice. Because in Xenoblade Chronicles yeah. 2, if you missed a tutorial or you took a break and forgot, you were out of luck because you could not replay tutorials in that game. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, forgetting about mechanics in that game. Yeah, they had a really terrible... Uh, reminder system hidden away in the menu it was just text based um but overall like torn has been my favorite so far but i think this is a contender for my favorite xenoblade entry um i haven't been able to put it down and the people that know my relationship to jrpgs know how big a deal that is (laughs) (laughs) now immediately this is the best xenoblade chronicles game for me Tornik. Oh, damn it. Tornik can get on the bench. The, the reason I say damn it is because obviously I've already bought this. Uh, <laughs> my plan is to play it at Christmas, but now you're making it difficult to wait. Oh, well, I nearly had to wait because my copy still hasn't arrived from Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go digital for this one. Yeah, well, that's, that sounds very promising. Uh, and I'm sure we all look forward to hearing more about it as you progress through and see whether those uh, positive things continue completely agree with andrew i don't think i've played a jrpg with a job system that's been bad i i haven't uh 
invested in Xenoblade because to get into them and if I like them it's at least 150 quid of, of my money mm. to get into them <laughs> so uh, I'm still like hmm um, if the definitive version of the first one ever gets you know an actual price cut which is sadly very unlikely then I'll then I'll probably become obsessed uh, but it's just <laughs> one that I haven't gotten into but what I have gotten into is Ease uh, which I sometimes call wise by accident, and I know lots of fans get annoyed at that. <laughs> I do that too. Yeah, um, uh, I've been playing Ease 9 Monstrum Nox, which is like the most JRPG name I've ever seen. <laughs> I picked it up because I played the previous game, which was Lacrimosa of Dana, and was actually like one of my favourite games I played when I picked it up. Uh, it's like a typical JRPG. I, I say that I think if you if you're all playing Xenoblade Chronicles three and you play Monstrum Nox, you're gonna be like, Ugh, because it looks old and it's only actually a couple of years old from this Japan release. Because the game before it was originally a PlayStation Vita game. Mm-hmm. So while it was ported to everything, including the Switch, it was designed it, it sometimes feels a bit empty because obviously it was designed for a, a the handheld spec of the time. But the Ease series does a really cool thing that not, I think it's kind of why people enjoy it, where you know what Final Fantasy, every game's a different cast of characters, different world, yada yada. Uh, the Ease games are actually all set around the same character called Adol um, Christensen or Christian. Uh, he's a red-headed JRPG anime boy, but every game is a different like stage in his life. So it's like an adventure he had at a certain age. And they actually all call back to all the other games and all the characters reference his other adventures, which you think, I just haven't seen that in other JRPGs. And it's really funny as well, because when you start up Monstrum Nox, there's a character called uh, Doji, who's like your kind of best pal. And he's like, oh, where did all your big fancy weapons go? And he kind of does, you know, makes fun of that JRPG trope where like, you know, at the end of a game, you get all these cool weapons and items and then the sequel, they, you know, they're all just magically gone and you're back to level one. <laughs> and I, it's just really funny. And in fact, you start the game, you get arrested because of all the stuff you've done in the previous games. Because, you know, in JRPG fashion where it's like, how come this big huge event we end up fighting god happens always happens to like a certain type of character and they reference that and they always go it's always weird that all these big things always happen around you and that's kind of why you get arrested which i just i love that kind of almost meta like writing it's really cool uh and this one you you get sent to prison uh you escape and there's this weird anime girl kind of goth girl who like shoots you and instead of killing you, you turn into this thing called a monstrum, which is like a slight, it's kind of like your evolved form. You're a slightly cooler anime character with like big spiky hair and cool armor and you can get these special abilities. And then you find out there's all these other monstrums and it's actually like a curse. Um, I think what's good about the Ease games, it's not, it does look outdated because it's they're using like an older engine and because it was originally, um, a lot of these games were handheld games. But the writing is really fun and there's always like a big mystery at the end and um, luckily the games are quite short which kind of makes you kind of want to keep going as well because they're all divvied up by chapters so you can always kind of go oh I know I'm halfway through because I'm in chapter so and so. The one before you're in an island of dinosaurs which are called primordials and you're like what they're meant to be extinct and there's callbacks to that in this one but this one you're in a prison town 
and you can actually each monstrum has a certain gift where you can climb up the side of um of all the buildings and you can glide and you can turn into a shadow and like sneak under buildings and things and the more characters of the monstrums that you befriend you unlock all their different gifts but when it comes to the gameplay i don't know if it's similar to xenoblade where it's like an active it's not turn-based the monsters are always kind of there and it's kind of active so if they're like around you like then attack them but in this one there's like a thing uh there's these little orbs that are located around the town and when you walk into one it transforms into this monster world that only the monstrums can see so the town people aren't like what the hell's going on and that's when you fight the kind of monsters and there's like an underlining plot about why this is happening why you're cursed and it's actually to do with a war that was actually referenced in every single other ease game and it's just it's really really clever really fun my partner every time i play it my partner laughs and goes this game looks like it's like 10 years old and it does but the writing is just so fun like the side quests the first side quest you do i was like crying because it was so lovely and i don't think most first side quests in games are usually like you know go collect some bread or something and this one was like really <laughs> brutal and it's just so the gameplay is a bit hack and slash it's just monsters and you get special moves that you can um attach to like two button presses and some of them are it, it's not very it, the ease games more to do with if you dodge at a certain time then everything goes slow and you can do like max damage it's very hack and slashy it's not very there's not much thought put into it but they're just really fun and there's it's the whole set on like adventuring because every map you get you can you have a percentage of unlocking so you literally have to like discover every single nook and cranny of a map and if you do you get 100% and you can talk to certain characters and they'll give you items and every game has like locations where if you go and the character's like wow take a note of this for your adventures and this is beautiful scenery that you find and it's all just like it really makes you feel like you're playing through this anime guys adventures and it's it's really really cool um I've been wanting to play this one for a while because I really liked the one before it and I'm actually kind of sad because I'm actually near the end and it's just it's just really 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 fun I don't think it's because it the graphical I don't think it's worth the full price so if you can get the switch version slightly cheaper and I do think you probably should play the one before which luckily is also on the switch because they do kind of tie into each other ever so slightly but it's just it's like mindless if you want to play a JRPG that isn't really really long doesn't take up all your energy and it's just kind of it's it's not really difficult and you can just kind of relax and get into it it's like so perfect for it you just have to the music is a bit grating at times because it sounds it has like an arcade kind of quality to it oh sorry that's my cat <laughs> Kylo <laughs> <laughs> he wants okay, he's, he's enjoyed the game too he wants to give his uh thoughts um no it's just i'm really really enjoying it and i'm they're developing the next ease game and i'm like cool hurry because <laughs> i'm just really really enjoying it it's maybe for a select few that really like their jrpgs because it does still look like a vita game but then i like the mm -hmm. vita so that's not really a, a deal breaker for me yeah i i played uh ease eight and I love, it's one of those I loved at the beginning, but disliked at the end. Uh, for me, I felt like the story fell off a cliff. Oh no, um, I see, I love the story. I, I think I just, I really like anime girls when they're centered around <laughs> a pretty anime girl. I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> My favorite thing though is the music. I think the soundtrack's brilliant. Yeah, um, it is. It's cool. Um, it's, it's, it feels like an old, the music sounds like a, it's, like a dreamcast game almost it has this mm. kind of very cool kind of upbeat 
quality to it. There's something about it that's just really iconic. I don't know. I, I'm really, really enjoying Monstrum Nox and I've been wanting to play it for so long because it literally just feels like more of the one before, which I really liked as well. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it's for everyone. Um, and, but the, their new game, they're, they're, they've made a new engine for, so I'm hoping it's it's going to be really fancy and pretty looking. But I, I, I don't know how long it's going to come out. I like my GRP- I, I like all GRPGs, so I'm going to get to Xenoblade at some point, probably. But <laughs> um, Secondly, never apologise for your cat appearing on the show. We welcome that. We're a pro-cat. <laughs> He's normally quite quiet, but he, he really wanted to... Um, get a cameo in this episode apparently cameo credit I've, I've got one cat here that if we go past our normal recording time she'll stand outside my door and scream <laughs> so, a nice mewing is, is a nice change of pace really so <laughs> uh, okay and the last game we're going to talk about this week is uh, Klonoa Fantasy Reverie series which is a collection of uh, Klonoa 1 and 2 uh, and it's the next thing on my list I'm going to play once I've done with uh, Live Alive. Uh, Andrew, you've been playing it. Yes, this is a collection of a PlayStation 1 and a PlayStation 2 game. Uh, this is a 2.5D platformer, which was a new idea uh, back on the PlayStation 1 because I, I don't think we can uh, effectively describe what happened to 2D platformers in the late 90s. Uh, when polygons became a practical thing to do on home consoles, and especially today with uh, you know the retro and the indie indie gaming boom, but people didn't want to play them, <laughs> and Sony in particular refused to publish them. It was actually something of a minor miracle that Castlevania Symphony of the Night ever got released, uh, and well, history has shown how how that panned out but anyway uh back to the point uh the the solution was the 2.5d platformer which is a 2d style platformer made uh with 3d polygonal graphics and the camera locks to the side perspective of the character and will rotate around as they run through the courses even as they loop and curve around corners. You really have to play the game to get to full effects, but basically, if you want to see what has become of the 2.5D platformer today, you want to play the Yoshi games. Yoshi Woolly World and Yoshi's Crafted World are both examples of the 2.5D platformer, although not as visually intricate as these two Klonoa games are. Uh, Klonoa is about this boy who's a, a a bunny who lives in this magical world filled with stuff uh one day he finds a magic ring uh that makes him the chosen one of the story and uh he has to go and stop monsters from destroying the world and he can do it with the wind bullets from the magic ring that fire projectiles from the ring uh it's calling them wind bullets is very misleading because they are not really bullets they don't fire all that far but you you can use them to grab enemies and you can carry the enemy with you and you can either use it to throw the enemy into another enemy or throw it into a container that contains an item or you can use it to double jump and that is the the main puzzle in the game is finding ways to get 
an enemy where you need it to be so you can use it to double jump and reach an edge and in the best puzzles in the game uh to find all the collectibles you have to really finesse that system to make it work because quite often uh the double jump is not readily available where you need it to be and you have to carry it a certain distance or carry it past an obstacle that you normally can't use the wind bullet in and there are six fragments hidden in each level of a doll that you can collect that's the main collectible there are also 150 gems that you can collect now as I was playing through, I found all of the six main collectibles. I did not bother trying to find all 150 of the gems because that is a much more finicky mechanic. And it's a, a medium difficulty game with a, you know, a medium interest <laughs> that it managed to draw for me. It kept me engaged, but I wasn't, you know, super thrilled about the whole experience. So it was just the next game I wanted to play, so I did. The platforming isn't fantastic. Like a lot of the times, I felt like I should have been able to jump where it would didn't want to let me jump, and the hit detection isn't always great. There are two difficulty levels. There's one that will give you infinite lives and more health and gives you increased range on your magic bullet, and then there's the classic difficulty, which is just like the original game. Uh, you have limited lives, limited health, and the wind bullet doesn't travel very far. The port job uh, seems fine. It seems very like a very good port for the Switch. Uh, the main problem is just how the port was created to begin with. They've made all new graphical assets for it, but they're still using the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 audio. So especially in the first game, the voice clips are very compressed it's very noticeable the second one's a little better because it was a playstation 2 game but you can still hear it's a little hollow and it's a little soft and doesn't quite match up with uh, how loud the music can get it's a fine collection of games but i really think you're just better off playing the yoshi games today <laughs> Okay, well, then that's it uh, for episode 200. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Let's uh, see what we're playing in the coming week. Andrew, we'll start with you. Probably the biggest releases of the year for me. Uh, the two games I've most been anticipating releasing this year, and they're coming out in the same week. Thanks a lot. Uh, two Point Campus <laughs> and Cult of the Lamb are both out next week. Nice. Uh, Sylvie? Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, do not message me do not call me <laughs> i will not be available <laughs> and rosalie uh, i'm very out of shape so i'll be going back to ring fit adventure and i'm saying this year so you can all hold me to it <laughs> <laughs> uh, and me uh, not that i'll be on next week but uh next thing i'm going to play is klonoa uh, i'm going to ignore andrew's advice and play <laughs> yoshi because i've because i've already played them Thanks for listening to this episode of In Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. And be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube and at GamePodular.com for updates, news and other content links are in the show notes.
If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular patron. The details for both things are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by Andrew and you can follow them at PlayCritically and look at their long-form reviews at playcritically.com. You can also find Andy at Flame Roast Toast on Twitter, Sylvie at ST2 and twitch.tv slash TorySTW. And you can find me on Twitter at LIL Record Girl. That's Lil Record Girl.